Have you ever noticed that everything seems wonderful at Christmas? Uh, in all honesty, Spirit, no. Perhaps I, I've never understood about Christmas. Before this day is done, you will understand. Oh, <coughs> oh no, oh no! Ah, we shall go out into the world. <laughs> I suppose you enjoyed that. Of course. <laughs> May I welcome you to Christmas morning! <laughs> it's in the singing of a street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas. A cup of kindness that we share with another. A sweet reunion with a friend or a brother. In all the places you find love, it feels like Christmas. Hello and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that wakes you up in the cold dead of night and forces you to revisit the most haunting pop culture traumas of your past and says bah humbug to everything that brought you joy as a child. I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to fall down the chimney and land on a flaming hot goose. I'm Seth, the host most likely to leave no cheeses for us Mises. And I'm Becky. I'm the podcast host most likely to have only one pair of tights that I wear every single day as I take care of a bunch of little monsters. (laughs) That checks out. (laughs) This is part two of our Muppet extravaganza. In our last episode, we discussed the original Muppet primetime TV variety show and the first Muppet movie, all released quite a few years before we were born. In this episode, we're going to discuss Muppet stuff that was released during our childhood years, when we were young, if you will. When we were alive. (laughs) (laughs) Also that. Focus on 1992's Muppet Christmas Carol in honor of the holiday season. So play the holiday music, light the holiday lights, put on holiday makeup, and meet the holiday Muppets on When We Were Young's holiday podcast tonight. Back in the DeLorean, a Saturday morning Cause we both be cynical or radical But was it good cause we were young? Was it good cause we were dumb? Here we think it certainly sucked Now we're jaded and all grown up And there was so much that we loved Do we think it'll make the cut? Will it be a fantasy or will it be fun? A decades later will it still hold up? This is when we were young When we were young 1992's Muppet Christmas Carol is celebrating its 30th anniversary this month. This is also the five-year anniversary of our last proper holiday episode, from 2017, when we covered the animated specials from the 60s that reran perennially through our childhoods. Rudolph, the Grinch, and Charlie Brown. Says Chris, because the last Christmas one we did was about Die Hard, because it's a Christmas movie. Also The Thing. I still feel <laughs> Christmas feelings about The Thing. We did Die Hard in the summer. Oh, we did? Oh, Christmas in July. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> Never mind. We did also discuss Gremlins four years ago. That's a Christmas movie. We grimmed it up. I would argue that that does not really get you in the proper holiday spirit unless your holiday spirit involves death and mayhem, which maybe it does. But this will be our first ever discussion of a true Christmas movie. 
Sure. <laughs> I don't know how to say to that. <laughs> I have no basis on which to disagree. And what better holiday gift than the Muppets? I'm not going to hate on the Muppets. Are you going to hate on the Muppets, Seth? Uh, it's not on the cards for me. Well, we know who the Scrooge of <laughs> the Muppets podcast is. I was going to ask the question to us all, but I think we've already established who our Scrooge is. I didn't is. say that I hate the Muppets. It's just that I loathe them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're the Michael Caine of this episode. Michael Caine. I just wasn't that big a fan of that iteration of the Muppets in our last episode. It doesn't mean that I hate them in general. You don't know how I'm going to respond. I believe you cursed the spirit of Jim Henson and all his descendants. God. I would never um, do that. Big Bird would beat me up. <laughs> Becky caught outside the Jim Henson studio with a flaming Molotov cocktail. I used to work at the Jim Henson studio. So did I. <laughs> Seth, have you worked <laughs> at the Jim Henson studio? <laughs> I applied to intern there, but they never got back to oh. me. <laughs> so before we get into Becky's seething contempt for the Muppets, <laughs> uh, I would like to start with an opening question. I thought of many ideas, and then I re-listened to our Rudolph and Grinch and Charlie Brown episode and realized that I had asked them all in that episode <laughs> in which we talked about our various holiday traditions growing up and today. We talked about some of our favorite holiday music, mostly mine. Was it on uh, 97 The Edge or whatever? It was. It was. <laughs> We discussed believing in Santa Claus or not. We discussed what a Jewish person does on Christmas. <laughs> so basically, Chris, you did your typical amount of homework for this podcast and discovered that you had previously done too much homework for this podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, I really overdid it in this episode with all, like, with all the opening topics. We knew that at the time, but it's good that you got there. But it's episode 31 if anyone wants like a really comprehensive coverage <laughs> Of our entire holiday pass. So for this episode, I decided we would do a lightning round of holiday-related okay. things. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'll give you a few options, but you are also allowed to pick other and, and select your own okay. answer. Favorite holiday scent? Pine, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, gingerbread, or other? Cookies, sugar cookies. I'm surprised you didn't say peppermint. We'll get there. Oh, Couldn't pick peppermint for everything. <laughs> Tell that to Trader Joe's. <laughs> Trader Joe's knows me when the holidays come around. So I would say it's Christmas trees, but I we never got pines. I think we always got like Douglas firs. Okay. Yeah, but the, the Christmas tree smell. That or the smell of like ashes, because we had a fireplace in we had a fireplace in my house. Christmas and... smells like ashes. <laughs> Place. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, because we had a fireplace in my house, but it's New Orleans. There's no other season of the year where you would even conceivably want to light things on fire, especially from an indoor perspective. Christmas would be the one time where we would light a fire in the fireplace. And so, like, uh, actually, if anything, it's like the combination of that, like, fire smell and Christmas tree smell. I'm going to go with gingerbread. I like, I like a good uh, gingerbread scent. It's a good smell. It is. Gingerbread lattes are very good. I don't think I know what chestnuts roasting on an open fire smells like, but I think I would like it the most. Favorite holiday flavor. Gingerbread, peppermint, pumpkin spice. Other also acceptable. Pumpkin spice. I'm a basic oh. bitch. You're so basic. <laughs> and your Uggs over there. No, Becky is not wearing Uggs. For me, it's... Number one with a bullet is the taste of stuffing. Stuffing is my favorite holiday, winter holiday dish, like Thanksgiving and Christmas included. 
Number two, I think, would be Snickerdoodles. My grandma was, like, the biggest baker in our family, and she would always do Snickerdoodles, and those were, like, those were my dad's favorite cookies, so, like, he was almost more excited about his mom coming into town so she could make Snickerdoodles than he was to, like, see her. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, like, the those two, I think, are the big two. For me, Peppermint, I'm a big peppermint fan you may not notice but my americanos are peppermint flavored this season so i always sip your coffees when you're not looking (laughs) so i knew (laughs) he pretends to take covid seriously but when we turn our backs he's looking everything (laughs) i'm a secret sipper (laughs) on that note favorite holiday beverage uh eggnog hot chocolate cider mulled wine other I used to order from Starbucks all the time the caramel apple ciders until I realized how many calories were in one. Yeah. And then I stopped. Hard stop. But that I remember that being like a favorite drink for a long time. I mean, calories are the reason for the season. Come on. It's true. I was having like one a day. <laughs> I don't know. I would say for me, it's probably seasonally like hot chocolate with marshmallows. And... You you almost always want to put more marshmallows in the mug than there is hot chocolate. I like eggnog. I am a big, like, just because it's something you literally can't get any other time. So I get very excited when I can, you know, like, buy a little, like, pint of eggnog. I'm a fan of eggnog, too. And I, but I have to say, it's weird to me in retrospect, uh, in retrospect that I drink so much more eggnog as a kid than as an adult. Because as an adult, I now understand the, the booze of it is really the larger point of the eggnog as a beverage. What's the liquor you put into eggnog? You put in a variety of liquors. Wait, really? What? But I think rum is a very um, big one. But Whiskey yeah. and brandy. Oh, boy. I don't Some like the people, taste of eggnog, so I've never done this. You might like it if you have a lot of brandy <laughs> That's there. the thing. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I like actually had it with booze and was like, oh, this is why adults drink this. Because it fucks you up. But no, I was like, <laughs> I was always like, oh, this is the delightful um, cinnamony nutmeggy concoction. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely, I shared the eggnog love. Favorite holiday treat? Sugar cookies. Candy cane, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, fruitcake, figgy pudding. I don't know what figgy pudding is. No one does. <laughs> is it a bread pudding, but made with figs? I'm going to go with a black and white cookie. That's not... I'm sorry. I don't mean to... <laughs> intrude on your Jewish holidays. Uh-huh. There's some okay. anti-Semitism leaping out on the couch. <laughs> Rugula. Acceptable answer. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing. <laughs> Again, I would say, like, snickerdoodles or my other, like, family favorite thing that my grandma would make. Near Christmas time, she would make an Oreo cream pie. Mm. And that was always, like, such an exciting thing. So, yeah, that was always definitely, like, a Christmas time treat that we would only get that time of year. Yeah. Uh, various pies. Uh, I'll go with pecan pie right now. It's a pie time of the year. It really Yeah. Is. White Christmas, yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. 
I had many white Christmases. Because like I said, we would often go up to St. Louis. In the wintertime in Missouri, it would almost always snow. There is no feeling more magical than going to sleep one night when there's nothing outside and waking up the next day, the ass crack of early morning, to see white everywhere outside the window. And it also snowed exactly two times growing up in New Orleans. So yes. I will go with yes as well. White Hanukkah, yes or no. (laughs) For eight days? No, thank you. (laughs) I say no, because that's too many days of snow. Frosty or Rudolph? Rudolph. I like animals. I don't like snowmen. I don't know. (laughs) I enjoy the delicious frozen beverage from Wendy's, so I'm going to say Frosty. I will go with Rudolph. Latkes or dreidels? (laughs) Latkes. Latkes, no contest. Agreed. Favorite Christmas carol? Hark, hear the bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw cares away, Christmas is here, bringing good cheer. One of my choir songs, so that's why I actually know the lyrics, but yeah, I always like that one. That's my favorite, too. Oh, Holy Night is always a good one, especially the fall on your knees part. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) Favorite day of Christmas of the 12, as in, uh, how many birds do you want? (laughs) I mean, you have to go with five golden rings, it's the most... Do you? It's the do, it's the it's the climax of the song. I would say it's the midpoint, really, but okay. <laughs> it doesn't follow the standard structure. The six keys of laying seem pretty lively to me. Ten lords a leaping for me. I mean, I I just I think you can't top ten lords leaping lords. around. I just need to point out we've all erased the nine ladies dancing. <laughs> And really shame on us. I mean, I almost went with eight maids milking, but I just feel like that's too much milk. What would I do with all that? How many birds do you want? (laughs) How many birds do you want? (laughs) Best Christmas rock, Jingle Bell Rock, or Rocking Around the Christmas Tree? They're the same song. (laughs) It's the same song. No, to me, it's like, it's the Phil Spector, like, baby, please come home. (laughs) Fine. All right. You choose that one. I think I'm going to go rocking around the Christmas tree if I have to choose one. Favorite reindeer? Rudolph, not applicable to this. It has to be one of the other eight. Do you mean just a name only? Because yes. none of them have personalities. Vixen is... Uh, spicy. Spicy. <laughs> uh, you know it's going to be Prancer for me. <laughs> I go Blitzen. Blitzen? Yeah. What does that even mean? <laughs> that was the drunkest reindeer. So. Least favorite reindeer. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no. Favorite Christmas villain, the Grinch, Gremlins, Hans Gruber, or Catwoman? Catwoman. <laughs> Hans Gruber. I'm going to shoot the glass and say Hans Gruber. I'll, I'll go with Catwoman. Finally, Mary Fuck Kill. The Ghost of Christmas Past, The Ghost of Christmas Present, and The Ghost of Christmas Future. In which iteration? The Muppets or... However you choose. (laughs) (laughs) You've stumped me. (laughs) That was the stumper. I guess I want to kill my past and fuck my future. (laughs) I don't know, Chris. Okay, the only answer. Fuck my past. Kill my present. Marry my future. Hmm. I'm going to fuck the future, kill the present, (laughs) and marry my past. You're like America. Sure. And that will take us into the next hour of this podcast. (laughs) Will it, though? (laughs) This is one of those topics that you don't really know what you're getting into until you start researching and you realize how much Muppets are in the world. (laughs) 
are they right behind you? There literally is one here with us. You're not exaggerating. There are entire documentaries about the Muppets. There's an entire podcast of Muppet history. You could spend a long time gathering Muppet facts. But I had just a few uh, more interesting tidbits to share about the Muppets in general. Jim Henson coined the term Muppet to describe his own individual combination of marionette and hand puppet. Marionette. That's what it is. Marionette. Literally did not know until just now. Thank you. Because they have like the rods on their hands, so they're marionette like, but then they're also like hand puppety in there. Did he mouth. make up that? The the hand the stick with on the hand? Oh, probably not. Um but just because it's a combination, I think. That's why they're marionette like and Got it. That's interesting. Wow. The Muppets are constructed of foam, rubber, and other soft materials, including felt, fleece, and fun fur. Uh, they are made out of reticulated polyfoam now, which is the stuff that is on uh, like soundproofing studios like we have right, uh, right here in our studio. Um, so if you ever want to know what a Muppet feels like, uh, <laughs> squeeze, a, squeeze the wall of a studio, I guess. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to be making Muppets out of the foam in my studio when you leave. Seth will be available for uh, wall squeezing tours uh Anytime, night or day. If these walls could talk, they would say, please stop squeezing me. (laughs) The Muppet fam had a Kermit repair kit carried by Jim Henson and crew wherever they went. It was a black gym bag containing Kermit fleece, sewing equipment, and eyeballs. You know, in case he fell apart. God, I can't imagine how many times they would have to just, like, patch that shit up on the road. Yeah, I mean, it it probably took them a while of, like, having (laughs) him fall apart for them to be like, oh, we need a kit to carry with us. Well, he's always waving his arms all willy-nilly. If you would just tone it down a bit. This is what Frank Oz had to say about Miss Piggy, which I found really enlightening, just about the way that they thought about these characters, much more than probably the average person does. He said, Although Miss Piggy's essentially humorous, to me she's had a sad, difficult, painful life. Mm. This is not for the audience to know, but the puppeteer should know the background of any good character in order to be able to improvise. He wrote a four-page Stanislavskian analysis of Miss Piggy's life and hard times and shared it with the writers. That's amazing. Saying that she grew up in a small town, her father died when she was young, her mother wasn't that nice to her, she had to enter beauty contests to survive. She has a lot of aggressiveness, but she needs a lot to survive, as many single women do. She has a lot of vulnerability, which she has had to hide because of her need to be a superstar. Wow. Wow. That absolutely tracks. <laughs> yeah. It, it gives you a real appreciation for the for the woman behind the hi yeah. Okay, Hi-ya. I was going to ask later, but I think that Piggy is the best Muppet because I think she is the most three-dimensional, has the most multifaceted personality, where she is a pig, but she's also beautiful. She is very feminine, but then she's very aggressive. And then she is a fancy lady, but then she will kick your ass. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I mean, I I would have a hard time choosing between her and Kermit, because Kermit is such a, like, linchpin, and also, I think, has a lot of, like, depth and, like, you know, he's a simpler character in a lot of ways, but he's, like, he has a lot to do in this whole, you know, franchise but yeah piggy is you never quite know like is she fooling herself as an actress or is she genuinely like 
kind of a superstar. Like, I feel like it gets played with a little bit. Like, sometimes she's more, like, genuinely famous. Sometimes it's more in her head. But yeah, she's full of contradictions. And I think maybe is, like, an early example of that type of character. Because I'm not sure that, like, there were many females who had that kind of range at the time. You know, who could, who could like, kick ass, but also kind of be feminine. It's something that you see, like, a lot of, like, now, you know, in, as, like, people are very self-conscious about what kind of roles, like, are put out there for females but at the time no not really like she's pretty complex yeah and i mean like she's a blonde bombshell and we didn't discuss this but has a literal fight sequence in the muppet movie <laughs> like in like every movie she's in she's yeah but, I, but I think we characterized it earlier like kermit was the only focal point but i think kermit and piggy are kind of like the two stars in the sky of the muppets and, and i do think that they're complex in very different ways but but that those kind of twin personalities really are like the heart of the Muppets. So did you guys have any favorite Muppet stuff like outside of like the show or movie that like, you know, we talked about we all watched Muppet Babies a little bit, but was there anything else Muppety that was like particularly, you know, cherished by you growing up? I really loved Fraggle Rock. And there was a TV special maybe called like the Bunny Picnic or something where there's a the bunny who is in the Christmas movie. Right. Whose name the bunny's I cannot, in a lot of things. I cannot can't remember, remember his name. name yeah. But he starred in like it was it was something where he starred in it. <laughs> um and you'd think that I would remember better. <laughs> but I watched it all the time and maybe it was because of my bunny doll that was actually a kangaroo, um, that I like so much that I had a thing for this this little bunny character. I feel like I saw it too. I don't remember anything about it, but I always loved that bunny Muppet. What is his name? His name is Bean Bunny. Bean Bunny. And the movie you're talking about, I believe, is The Tale of the Bunny Picnic. That's it! I'm sure it's on Disney+, Plus, and I will watch it with my daughter. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, a lot of the Muppet stuff is probably caught up in weird rights. Um, because then I they will were watch so... it on YouTube. <laughs> it's buried beneath the Disney vault. <laughs> I really loved, like, The Great Muppet Caper and Muppets Take Manhattan. There are running jokes in that that I still love to this day. How are we going to get down there? I suggest we jump. Are you crazy? That's about 100 feet. I didn't say it was a good suggestion. Maybe we could jump part way. Oh, we're just going to have to go down there and catch those thieves red-handed. What color are their hands now? And also, we haven't really mentioned it, but Janice is another one of the Muppets that's always been my absolute favorite. She is a literal blonde hippie. She's a stoner. (laughs) She is a massive stoner. Another element of the Muppets that I never recognized until it was a full-on grown-up. My favorite thing about Janice is in literally all of the movies, especially, and later on, she comes in with just random non-sequitur one-liners, and they usually happen after, like, it's a scene where all the Muppets are talking together, and Kermit has something important to say, and nobody shuts up, and Kermit just, like, yells, like, everybody shut up! And Janice is the one who's still talking. Look, buddy, I don't take my clothes off for anyone, even if it is artistic. I always loved Janice. I just like her design. She's she's very distinct. She's so distinct. And she never got like a very prominent role in the Muppets universe. But I just always loved the comedic sensibility of her one-liners and where she would pop up. Yeah, I noticed her more like on these rewatches than I ever had before. She's definitely distinct enough where I like would have, you know, recognized her, but I 
like never knew her name before and like I don't think I ever quite latched onto what her personality was which is much clearer <laughs> as an adult and knowing more about like sort of like the 70s and and what you know kind of a stoner blonde would have been like back then you know she she would she could pop up in boogie nights and it would be perfectly exactly. acceptable <laughs> for me uh I had a strangely strong connection to one particular Muppet thing, uh, which is called Kermit Unpigged. What? Do you know what this is? No. Okay, it was an album that came out in 1994 that's kind of like a parody of Eric Clapton's Unplugged. What? It had what? guest vocalists on, on every track, um, <laughs> including Linda Ronstadt, Vince Gill, Ozzy Osbourne, and Jimmy Buffett. Whoa! Um, I'll play you a brief uh, clip from it so you can get the sense. Everything they say is true Cause I can't get enough of food Just say I do and it's a breed I'll be the only pig you'll ever meet She drives me crazy Oh, oh, like no She drives me crazy, and I can't help myself. Oh, Kermit! Kermit! Kermit, will you stop playing that guitar? Kermit, we have to talk. Kermit! Oh, wow. The whole episode is this now. We're not talking about anything else. You liked this album. I did. What What age were you? I guess like 11. I mean, this is coming from somebody who only listened to Disney songs, but that is late. <laughs> that is... We listen to She Drives Me Crazy, which is probably, like, the silliest of the songs. Because <laughs> a lot of them are more, like, real singers, like, duetting with... And there's a little bit of Muppet going on, but... Um, yeah, I mean... She drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to argue with you, but... Um, I don't know. I, I just enjoyed it. Probably, like, I didn't know that that song, the original version. So, you know, it was, like, an introduction to me of, like, certain, probably mostly, like, 70s and 80s mm-hmm. kind of songs. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed that iteration of the Muppets. And that that's my most nostalgic Wow. Connection. Let's be fair. That rendition is no sillier than the original version. I was waiting for the OO parts in the chorus. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like we kind of mentioned this earlier, but I had an internship on the Henson lot as well. So I guess that's my other sort of like nostalgic connection from my own life, which used to be uh, Charlie Chaplin's studio as well. So it's right. a double, double whammy for me. Yeah, I, I did not like that internship, but I liked going to the Jim Henson lot. Well, in retrospect, I'm glad that they didn't get back to me. <laughs> I had a great time there. Different internship, by yeah. the way, we should say. <laughs> like, we, we were not homies on the That was on the also at, lot. at a different time, yeah. yeah. Uh, so after the original Muppet movie came The Great Muppet Caper in 81, which was directed by Jim Henson, won Miss Piggy a Youth in a Film Award for Best Young Musical Recording Artist, being the first and only non-human recipient of that award. I have never seen this movie. It was not very well reviewed, and it did not make nearly as much money 
and I kind of had it on while I was preparing for this. I wasn't paying a lot of attention, but um, to me, this and Muppets Take Manhattan, uh, which came out in 84, are both substantially weaker than the first one. Um, and just, like, they're a little too, like, plot-driven, and just they're missing that sort of, like, lackadaisical charm of the first one. Henson passed on the directing duties for Muppets Take Manhattan to Frank Oz, because um, he was kind of worn out from doing... Um, various other Muppet things, including uh, The Dark Crystal in 82 and Labyrinth in 86, which, you know, we discussed in a previous episode. There was also Fraggle Rock, which came out in 83 through 87 and aired on, do you guys know where it aired? Disney Channel? Nope. Nickelodeon? Nope. HBO. Oh, I did know that. I did know that. Uh, Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I had cable at that, like, super young age, and I do remember seeing it, so that would check out. I think I saw it, yeah, like, other people's houses. It was never, like, my kind of show. All I remember is the theme song and, like, wandering through a cave with, like, it was basically, like, a troll doll kind of wandering through with the hair. It's so weird, because, like, I know that I watched it that young, like, when it was first airing, but I didn't remember, like, things from it until I watched it later in life. I remember loving it. Can't tell you a single episode plot point. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I loved it, but, like, retained none of it. Can you tell me, like, any characters or, like, what they... She has pigtails. Okay. She's feisty. (laughs) The dozers. Okay, so you know, you know. Some I remember stuff. the creatures. I remember that there was a dog Muppet. Yeah. I got nothing for you. And I'm there was a sure. Muppet without eyes. I don't remember his name, though. And then, of course, there was Muppet Babies, which ran from 1984 to 1990. It aired Saturday mornings on CBS originally, and then had reruns on Nickelodeon, which I know is where I would have seen it. As Becky mentioned in the last episode, it was introduced in the Muppets Take Manhattan Dream sequence with Baby Kermit, Baby Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo, Ralph, Scooter, Skier, and Animal. I gotta tell you, I look up pictures of the Muppets, whatever. All right, there's Piggy, there's Kermit. I looked at pictures of the Muppet Babies as Muppets, not the cartoons, and I want to squeeze them and hold them and love them. I went, I took my husband to a Muppets exhibit a few years ago that was at the Skirball in LA, and they had the Miss Piggy Muppet Baby Muppet, and I just took so many pictures of it. I wanted it. I wanted it. Did you try to steal the Baby Piggy? (laughs) Yeah, that was my own Muppet caper. (laughs) You're my Baby Piggy now. You're my baby. You're coming home with me I don't me know. Now. They're just so cute as babies. Piggy is especially cute, which is odd because she's kind of a shrill character, especially in, in that show. But her design is just very... It's so cute. cute. With the pigtails, it's very cute. Animal's very cute, too. Like, Animal oh, wears, yeah. like, a bonnet. That show made me hate Animal because he's so chaotic and he's just mm-hmm. always coming in. Like, I like Animal in the movie, but, like, I thought I hated Animal because he's just such a like, agent of chaos in the show. I don't know. Maybe it was just me as a kid, but I was like, stop disrupting everything. Like, you're just <laughs> roaring. You're such a disciplinarian. I've introduced Muppet Babies to my four-year-old, and there's a new Muppet Babies. There sure is. CGI, Um, right? It's CGI. It's still got the same tone, I guess. I think there's more learning. I swear I thought the theme song was sung by Shonda Rhimes. (laughs) Wait, Shonda Rhimes? What is that? (laughs) to Shepard. (laughs) (laughs) Did I even... (laughs) Muppet scandal. (laughs) How to get away with Muppets. (laughs) Piggy's anatomy. They would make these. (laughs) Um, Those shows would last for 14 years. (laughs) I'm sorry, Shonda Rhimes. Vonda 
Shepard, who is famous for the Ally McBeal <laughs> theme song. She sure is. And it's not. It's not famous? Shonda Rhimes, and it's not famous. Is it Amy Sherman Palladino? <laughs> it's Renee uh, something, Elise Goldsberry from Hamilton and, and okay. um, Girls 5 Eva. So it's a singer and not just a, a showrunner. <laughs> That's good to know. Anyway, so I've been watching a lot of new Muppet Babies. Doesn't quite hit the punch that the original did for me is obviously there's the nostalgia of the classic animation matched with like they would like combine film stocks or something it was interesting but they don't really do that anymore it's just all cgi are we talking about muppet babies now yeah no we're talking about vonda <laughs> we're talking about shonda Rhimes. this is the greatest anatomy episode now <laughs> We have to talk about that theme song because the do up theme song is like maybe the number one <laughs> most stuck in my head jingle of all time. It will never leave. When you rule, looks kind of weird and you wish that you weren't there. Everything all right in here? Yes, It will never that song. It's like the Munsters theme song on like the all-timers list of best theme songs ever written for anything. It's so catchy and like it now seems odd that it's like kind of like a 50s doo-wop. Like mm-hmm. at the time obviously I didn't know what that was and didn't think about it, but now I'm like, "Oh, what a what a choice." It also is fun to visualize anything as babies. Like, just take any word like, when we were young babies, we're gonna talk about it. Oh, we that might, gives me ideas. Yeah, we might have to make a when we were young babies version See? of the theme song. Pop quiz, what is Nanny wearing? Sneakers. What color? Uh, purple? Like a pink. Purple. Oh, purple. Green and white, horizontal striped tights, uh-huh. and a skirt. What color? Purple. It's kind of like a purpley pink. Purpley pink? I, th- I think it varies a little bit, you know, depending on the dial of your TV. <laughs> so her face is never seen because she's too tall for the, the Muppet babies to, I guess, see her face. So it's a very uh, Charlie Brown's parents kind of device with her. Well, I was going to say a very George Orwell 1984 kind of effect. <laughs> that too. Opposite opinion here because she's never there to supervise them. If that was my nanny, I would find another because they're not watching my children. That's true. When I think of this show, I always think of Star Wars, which is weird, but I feel like that episode was probably always on. Yeah. It was always always on. Okay. It wasn't just me. I bet you they sold probably like toys of Princess Leia Piggy. Like, you know what I mean? They probably really like pushed that. Oh, Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So the show, yeah, it it just had clips from a lot of classic movies and Star Wars was one of the more like recent ones where they actually had to buy the rights for that. Otherwise, it was more classic movies that were in the public domain. The show had a spinoff called Little Muppet Monsters that lasted for three episodes. Oh, that's why I didn't know about it. What? 
Jim Henson did a couple more 80s shows called Storyteller and Jim Henson Hour in 88 and 89 that were well-received and won a couple of Emmys, but were pretty much flops in the ratings. So at this point, he started negotiations with the Walt Disney Company to buy the Muppets hoping this would give him more time to spend on the creative aspects versus the running of the business. His final TV appearance was on Arsenio Hall on May 4th, 1990, in which he appeared with Kermit, as he did a couple of times. He died at the age of 53 on May 16th, 1990, of toxic shock from a bacterial infection. Didn't he do something similar to Steve Jobs, where he like wouldn't go to the doctor or something that it could have been avoided? Yes, but it was only like a few hours. Like it was, it happened quickly. So he, if he had gone like a few hours earlier, you know, maybe it would have been okay. But it wasn't like he put it off for like weeks and weeks. It was just something like he felt sick and like didn't want to like deal with it like in that moment for whatever reason. He thought it wasn't as serious as it was. Have you guys seen clips from his memorial service? Yes. (laughs) It's pretty heartbreaking. I remember when it happened. I, I, yeah. I saw it when it happened. I didn't I cried then. see that, but I do remember when he died. It was like... Big news. Yeah, like, because you're a kid. You're, we were at, like around six or seven at this time. So, um, yeah, he was, he was like, you knew his name, obviously, at, at that age. Because um, he was just synonymous with, like, children's entertainment. He was not just the Muppets, but, like, all these movies and, and stuff that we're talking about. So he was just everywhere. Um, and doing effects for, you know, other movies as, as Creature Shop, so. How old was he? Uh, 53. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the first celebrity deaths that, like, actually connected for me. The person who was the creative force behind so many of these things is gone now. It seems like he was very much a workaholic, and, like, the only thing he knew in his life was his work. And now at this age... That's a thing that I understand, and that I understand it's very difficult to divorce yourself from that and, like, remember to care for yourself. But it really fucking sucks that his life ended that way. Yeah, Frank Oz has said that he thinks the stress of negotiating with Disney is what, like, got him sick. Um, dealing with Michael Eisner, which I can imagine is probably a pretty intense thing. He and seems like a laid-back guy. Henson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really difficult for him doing all, like, the business stuff. And because they were such a small team, I think a lot of it fell on him. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword because he was very protective of the characters and, like, did a really great job, I think, of not, you know, kind of pimping them out to do... Like, they did do commercials and stuff, but it was always in the right spirit of the Muppets. So I think he, like, spent a lot of time, like, kind of protecting them but you know obviously that also took a toll but at this point the Muppet performers the rest of them you know kind of had to decide are they going to go on and so many of them had spent you know their entire lives on these characters and so they decided that yes they would all continue on even without Jim Henson guiding them which brings us to The Muppet Christmas Carol which was released in 1992 on December 11th it was directed by Brian Henson Jim Henson's son written by Jerry Jewell one of the writers on the show music by Paul Williams again same as the original Muppet movie and it stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge Gonzo as Charles Dickens, Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit, and various other Muppets as various other roles. Rizzo the Rat! As, you know, yeah, Rizzo the Rat, sidekick. (laughs) Hello! Welcome to the Muppet Christmas Carol. I am here to tell the story. And I am here for the food. My name is Charles Dickens. And my name is Rizzo the Rat. 
Hey, wait a huh? second. You're not Charles Dickens. I am too. No, a blue furry Charles Dickens who hangs out with a rat. Absolutely. Charles Dickens was a 19th century novelist, a genius. Oh, you were too kind. Why should I believe you? Well, because I know the story of a Christmas carol like the back of my hand. Prove it. All right. Um, there's a little mole on my thumb and, uh, a scar on my wrist from when I fell off no, my no, bicycle. No, 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 no. Don't tell us your hand. Tell us the story. Oh, oh, thank you. Yes. <clears throat> So the movie comes at an interesting point for the Muppets. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, I think we coincided with the gradual Disneyfication of the Muppets. The first three movies were not Disney movies. They were all distributed by different studios, um, including Universal and TriStar. This is what Henson said about Disney like earlier in his career. He said, I like Disney, but I don't ever particularly want to do what he did. He built this great, huge empire. I'm not particularly inclined to do that. You get that large thing going, and I'm not sure the quality of that work can be maintained. I mean, that's interesting because I would call the Muppets an empire. They're the Muppets have no competition. There's no other other puppet thing. You know how there's, the Fluppets, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's 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 different animation studios. There's no other puppet movies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't call what Jim Henson built an empire. I would say that he had in that very small core troop of people created something that had such a singular vision and had such, you know, unique voices, there there was nothing that could compete with them. But I wouldn't consider it an empire, like, for the reasons that Chris was talking about, that, like, you know, it was merchandised and all that stuff, but, like, all of it was done in the voice of that small group of people who created it. I think it was big enough to be an empire, but the word empire sounds like negative and kind of soulless mm. so i believe it was like whatever a nice <laughs> empire is but it was big enough i mean it was making a ton of money even though henson was very like divorced from like caring about the money like at some point he was like asked he was like i think we make millions like you know and that's why that's why i differentiate it from yeah. empire because imperial work is a much more consciously obsessed with power and with gaining and growing and all of that and it seems like jim henson's whole ethos was about just that creation and that creation with that troop of people that he had always been creating with yeah they never were chasing money for any reason like they were never making a decision because it was like good for the bottom line or because it would make them money like it was always what they wanted to do creatively So The Muppet Christmas Carol was originally developed as a TV movie for ABC. It was at one time considered that well-known Muppets would be cast in the ghost roles, with Piggy as the ghost of Christmas present, Scooter as Christmas past, and Gonzo or Animal as Christmas future. Before it was decided that that would distract from the ominous effect the spirits needed from Charles Dickens' story, so they decided to create all new Muppets. This is the first time one of the Muppets' properties focuses on a human as the main character instead of a Muppet. Hmm. Michael Caine, cast as Ebenezer Scrooge, said, I'm going to play this movie movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. I'm going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me. And I think it's very interesting if you ever see any like footage of how this movie was created because like Michael Caine is like walking on like planks and there's like people like full on standing like performing the Muppets right next to him. It looks like he's walking on like a sidewalk or whatever but like he's actually like raised you know like I think he's four feet. He's four feet above ground yeah wow. 
so it's just i mean the illusion of it is immersive in in the movie as you know we've talked about the the rest of it is is you really think about how are the puppets you know being operated it's pretty intricate it's not just like oh they're walking through a, a real set like they had to like construct the set you know in order for puppetry to be performed like at a i guess hip length level for him the movie grossed 29.2 million worldwide on a 12 million budget, so it was a you know, modest hit. It opened at number six, facing off against stiff competition from Aladdin and Home Alone 2. Oh boy. Wow. Yeah. The reviews were mildly positive, but mixed. When Rita Kempley had this to say <gasps> We're back on the Rita Beat! 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 I'm being paid for this, correct? Michael Caine and those talking hairballs, the Muppets, joined together for a needless but apparently unavoidable retelling of Charles <laughs> Chuck Dickens' holiday classic. Stop there. Chuck. Rita. You know the Rita. one I mean. The Muppet Christmas Carol, a sadly dull and unimaginative outing, finds the handheld neo-Dickensians attempting performances opposite the Scroogey Kane, who does indeed look spooked to find himself in a scene with 14 rat puppets and a felt frog who recently took up method acting. Oh, Rita. Kane, in a surprisingly sweet-natured turn as the old humbugger, never quite lives up to Dickens' ordering model, but then again, when you're playing opposite stuffed animals, it isn't easy being mean. Neither comedy nor drama, it's safe stuff, and most unmuppet like So much for great expectations. All right, Seth, that is somebody who has an issue of the Muppets. <laughs> that is Becky's review. <laughs> that is of... not my review. <laughs> Luckily, we can always depend on Roger Ebert for <laughs> a sunnier take. He said, like the earlier three Muppet movies, it manages to incorporate the Muppets convincingly into the action. We may know their puppets, but usually we're not much reminded of their limited fields of movement. Ever since Kermit rode a bicycle across the screen in the Muppet movie in 1979, the Muppeteers have managed to bypass what you'd think would be obvious limitations of the form. This time, they even seem to belong in Victorian London, created in atmospheric sets that combine realism and expressionism. Three stars. Christmas at home, Bug Uncle. Oh, you don't mean that, surely. Actually, I think it's colder in here. Merry Christmas, you say. What right of you to be merry? You're poor enough. What right of you to be dismal? You're rich enough. He's got him there, the old boy's speechless. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be cooked with his own turkey mm. and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Well, not quite speechless. Mm. Oh, I'm cool. Nephew, you keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Christmas is a loving, honest and charitable time. And though it's never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that Christmas has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. And how does one celebrate Christmas on the unemployment line? Did you guys see this movie when you were young? And what did you think of it now? So weirdly, I watched all other Muppet things that I could get my hands on growing up. So many of my family members, like all my cousins, adored Muppet Christmas Carol. Probably more so than they liked any other Muppet things. So, like, I know that anytime I would go to cousins' houses or whatever for Thanksgiving or Christmas stuff, they would make it a point to watch Muppet Christmas Carol, because it was usually broadcast on one TV channel or another. Probably ABC. Probably ABC. I didn't like it growing up. So you're the Rita of this uh, episode. I was the Rita. I was the Rita at the time. Watching it now, I kind of thought it was perfect. As 
a retelling of the classic Charles Dickens tale. I thought Michael Caine was the most inspired, perfect casting choice imaginable for this. Like, specifically for a Muppet-based one, just because he is so serious and so committed. But also, I think that the Muppets also approached it very seriously. (laughs) Kermit did take method acting classes. He clearly did. He did the work. He really put the work in, and we don't give him enough credit on that. The Christmas Carol story is such a cliche now. It's been done in every possible iteration. It's been referenced a bajillion times over. So I feel like this is the kind of story that would be the easiest vehicle for Disney to make a Muppets thing that wouldn't lose that much in the Disneyfication of it. And it's very clear that it's a Disney movie, especially because the budget is there. But it's also very clear that all of the collaborators and the creative team and all the people involved are very much trying to make it in the Jim Henson spirit of things. And like in that way, it very much feels like an almost like memorial honor to him, like their tribute to him, kind of. So watching it this time, I just really enjoyed it. I found Michael Caine's performance very moving. I thought it was all very artfully done, like the set design, the production design, the matte paintings were gorgeous. The the puppet effects were beautifully done. Like I read a little bit about how they how they like initially tried to like put the 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 ghosts like into into like a suspension of like oil or something to do some yeah. of the motion effects but then they like quickly changed to water cuz the oil was like decomposing the puppet <laughs> in real time <laughs> and it still has like the muppets like metaness and kind of self commentary some of the muppets like Sam the eagle get to do like in jokes there's like a monologue he has that's like today you'll become a man of business you will love business it is the american way well young man you have been apprenticed to a fine company in london today you become a man of business i'm looking forward to it headmaster Mm, you will love business it is the american way sam it's just oh it is the british way Yes, Headmaster. Mm. Like, I also don't think that they overdo that, which would have been extremely easy in this context, especially when it's, like, Disney's first Muppets thing. I thought Statler and Waldorf as the Marley brothers were great, and they were very well cast in those roles. I was kind of surprised watching it this time that I enjoyed it much more than I did as a kid. Um, But I think it's just because I've now seen so many versions of this story told and i can just appreciate it for what it was and also like appreciate it for the fact that it just really does feel like you know a tribute that all of these kind of core group of muppets people did as like a kind of a goodbye in a way to jim henson i never watched this movie growing up i didn't know it existed oh i think i had a break from the muppets i remember seeing muppets from space because i saw it the same day i saw eyes wide shut (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so that was memorable the seeing of them both not actually muppets from space i think i found it not that memorable (laughs) do you ever confuse like what what scene was in which movie (laughs) no but i remember we saw eyes wide shut first and then we we saw muppets from space as a palate cleanser and i I kept making jokes with my then boyfriend about like the movie should be mashed up (laughs) 
<laughs> but there was such a big chunk between Muppet Babies and the Muppets that came out in like 2014 or whatever year that was that I just didn't care about the Muppets. This was in that chunk of time. Then I met my husband. <laughs> this was his movie growing up where he watched it every single Christmas, was obsessed with it. It is literally his tradition to watch this every year, every holiday season. And now it has to be mine because <laughs> I'm married. I Even before we got married, like when I first met him. But he wants to like sit down and watch it. He doesn't want to just like put it on while we like decorate the tree or do literally anything else. He wants to sit down and watch it. And guys, I've been with him like this is going to be our 13th Christmas together. <laughs> I'm just like, I've had it with this movie. No, that's the thing. I think that's the only reason I can enjoy it is because when my extended family, because they treated it the same way. It was a tradition. It was a mandatory viewing. It was not a passive watching experience. I don't like that. <laughs> so it's been like, so I've got some backstory coming into this watch. Yeah. Not a lot of distance from this movie. No. <laughs> And it's just funny how I've been, I love you, honey, but like, I've been like dragged into this tradition unwillingly. Yeah. <laughs> Has your daughter, like, have you shown it to her? Like, We've did you tried, try and do that? She's four. I think we tried when she was like two and three. She doesn't like Beaker because of his eyes are creepy. And he, I think we tried watching it with her and then Beaker came on and then, she, and then it was, no, thank you. I think she just really has a thing about human-like faces on non-human creatures. Maybe, yeah. She's very weird about the Muppets. Sometimes she wants to... She definitely liked Muppet Babies, but when it comes to, like, the live-action Muppets, it's like... Yeah. She's got to be in the right mood. She might appreciate it more in a few years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we're not quite there yet. So I watch this movie <laughs> with my husband without our two children. <laughs> And he gives you a quiz at the end. Let's put the kids to bed so we can watch The Muppet Christmas Carol. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's more than fine. It's a drama. It's got moments of levity, but it is a drama. It is a drama. And I find that to be very interesting because it so easily could have been Miss Piggy as the ghost of whatever and Gonzo as the ghost of this and that. And it could have been like a straight up comedy. Could have had, what was the year it came out? 1990. Uh, who's big then in comedy? Polly Shore. Like, <laughs> Tom Selleck. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but, like, it could have had, like, somebody like that or whoever would be Scrooge, because I don't think they would cast Kermit as Scrooge. Sam the Eagle. Sam the Somebody like that. And, and it could have just gone in a completely different direction. And maybe that's why I didn't like it. Like, maybe it's the fact that it just is a serious drama. It's a serious drama that has moments of levity, and that's probably why. The other Muppet movies, I think, can be very forgettable because it's just hijinks. And in this one, there is actual character development (laughs) and a very strong plot. It is, you know, the classic story, but it's a strong story. And you care about the people, and they treat it with heft and weight. Like, there's stakes in a this. sense of mortality, even. Yeah. Like, it's ultimately the lesson of that is that, like, Scrooge doesn't want to die having been this awful person. Yes. And, you know? And even though it's a Muppet movie, you, you when you watch this movie, you feel for him and you, you feel for Kermit and you feel for Tiny Tim. And I guess I shouldn't say Kermit, Bob Cratchit. How dare you? I know. So I would enjoy this movie more if I wasn't forced to watch it every Christmas. But for what it is, I think it is a very well-made movie. The craft is there, like it always is. The songs are great. I, actually, I love the songs. The songs are great. Yeah, that this time around, I noticed that. Like the songs are really good. When a cold 
nose, it chills you, chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. And the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed, is the one that we call Scrooge. Unkind as any, and the wrath of many, this is Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grimm. If they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Old Scrooge, he loves his money cause he thinks it gives him power. If he became a flavor, you can bet he would be sour. Even the vegetables don't like him. Yeah, the songs are great, and I get a lot more out of it because there's character development, there's Michael Caine treating it like it's a real story with weight to it. So I do like this movie. I have a hard time thinking of a Christmas movie that I like more than this. <laughs> Except for wow. It's a Wonderful Life is probably the one that's easy to say is, you know, better than this. I did not know that about you. Well, did, have you seen this movie growing up? I saw it growing up. I probably saw it in theaters, but I didn't watch it a ton, and I hadn't seen it, I think, since I was a kid. So I really, like, I had the sense that I liked this movie, but not in a way that I was, like, sure that I would love it now. You know, I kind of guessed just because it's Muppets and it's Christmas Carol, and I thought those two things would go together well. And I was right. Uh, (laughs) I think that A Christmas Carol is one of the best stories ever. I mean, it has been very, very done and overdone. But, like, just the bones of it is such a, like, classic story. It's, it's a like perfect... Wizard of Oz or something. Like... Yeah, it's, it has, like, the ghost of, like, past, present, and future is just, like, the perfect device. It's the perfect three-act structure. You know, it's a story, it's, like, a very universal story about regret and greed and, and of course, like, overcoming those things. It has a, a happy ending, but is also very dark. And it's also, like, a specifically Christmas story but not at all Christian. Yeah. Which is really unique. (laughs) Yeah, it's like both gothic and spooky and heartwarming, which is a hard thing to pull off. So just that original story, I mean, I like the Mickey version of this too, because I just think this story lends itself well to being retold, although obviously not always well. But I guess for some reason it pairs well with like children's properties, which you wouldn't necessarily expect. But I think they both take it seriously, which you have to do, because I agree, like if they had cast the Muppets, you know, as the ghost and as Scrooge, it would have, like, you need a human face. You need someone who mm-hmm. can emote, who, uh, two-time Academy Award winner Michael Caine <laughs> can do that, um, and does do that really well here. And I think was right on in the fact that he, like, is not at all conceding to the fact that there are Muppets around him and is playing it totally straight and would give the exact same performance in a, like, straight-out, yeah. like, R-rated version of this. So, yeah, I love this movie. I like this movie more than I like the Muppet movie, or I think any other Muppets thing, except for maybe Kermit Unpicked. (laughs) Uh, Slightly different uh, approach, though. Yeah, and just, you know, casting Michael Caine is just, you can't do better. That was kind of a stroke of genius. Like, because I don't even think Michael Caine was, like, the hugest commodity at this time. Like, he had a gigantic career renaissance later on in the later 90s, especially the 2000s. Yeah, when, like, Christopher Nolan started using him and, like, yeah, things like that. But, yeah, at this point, I think he was in a bit of a slump between his Alfie and his Alfred. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I don't think I had ever seen probably Michael Caine before this at the time. And like, I think he's like Scrooge to me. Like, I, I think if I think Ebenezer Scrooge, I think it's Michael Caine and he seems to embody that character so well. These events can be changed. Life can be made right. Ebenezer <laughs> Scrooge. Oh, please, spirit, no. Hear me, I'm not the man I was. Why would you show me this if I was past all hope? (laughs) I I will honor Christmas and try to keep it all the year. I will live my life in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons the spirits have taught me. Tell me that I may sponge out the writing on this stone. Oh, Spirit, please speak to me. (laughs) I really love how they do Gonzo as Dickens, the narrator of the story, where he's reading real passages from the book. Like, 95% of what he's saying is actual Dickens, but it's not dry or boring as presented here. And he's kind of like a straight man, almost, in a way, even though he's usually so kind of goofy. He is kind of an earnest character, but he's also silly. But here he's strangely, like, easy to take seriously as, like, a, you know, Victorian-era novelist. (laughs) Well, they have Rizzo to bounce off of. Yeah, and that pair is so great. I don't know if they had been paired up in the same way before, but I think they have been after this, probably because this movie did it so well, but... Yeah, I mean, Rizzo isn't a character I really am familiar with outside of this. I think Rizzo's first Muppet movie appearance was in Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah. He was, like, working in the pizza joint. Yeah, he was in the restaurant. Yeah, I like Rizzo the Rat. Yeah, I always loved Rizzo, and I love them as a pair. Like, they work so well as a pair. And again, it's like, it's one of those things where, like, that could have been, and honestly should have been, so just innately silly. But in this movie, it completely works. It completely works to me. I like the moment where he where he says something and Gonzo is taking it seriously, so he's kind of annoyed, and then and Rizzo just gives him his nose a kiss. <laughs> yes, that's so cute. That almost feels like it was improv. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if it was, but it feels <laughs> so in the moment. And like again, it's like these characters feel like they're actors acting in the moment and not felt that is being manipulated by someone off screen. And again, it's like we've talked a lot about the craft and how good they are as performers. But I I really just think like there's so much art in the fact that they're having Gonzo performing Charles Dickens prose (laughs) and passing that off, like genuinely passing that off in a way that helps to ground the story. Like it's really impressive to like, step back and think of like how many layers in which that could have been just completely innately silly and stupid. And I feel like they were really smart in the way that they did. Like Kermit and Piggy, who are so much the stars of everything else. And Kermit has like a big ish role, but he's not in like that much of this. And Piggy's in even less. 
Mr. Scrooge. Bob. Bob Cratchit. It only seems right that I should lift a glass to my employer. I give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. <laughs> if I had him here, I would give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I bet he would choke on it. Hmm. Choke. choke. My dear, the, the children, Christmas Day. Oh, uh, well, well, well I, I suppose that on the blessed day of Christmas, one must drink to the health of uh, Mr. Scrooge, mm -hmm. even though he is odious, mm -hmm. stingy, mm -hmm. wicked, mm -hmm. and unfeeling, mm -hmm. and badly dressed. <gasps> to and the founder of the feast, Mr. Mm -hmm. Scrooge. Mm -hmm. uh, to Mr. Scrooge, you'll be very merry and happy this day, I have no doubt. No, no doubt. doubt. Mm. Cheers. God bless us, everyone. And like they're great in the scenes that they're in, and especially like using Kermit as like sort of the heart of of the story. Of course, makes sense. But I feel like an easy note would have been like, no, we have to have like more Kermit, more Piggy. They have to be like in you know a bunch of different scenes. And it, the fact that they like let the kind of stars be a little bit sidelined by both a human and like Gonzo and a rat, you know, really works well. And they didn't shoehorn a lot of like extra Muppets in here. Like it feels like the ones that appear here, like are here for a reason versus like, Oh, we got to have this guy. Cause there's, you know, a million Muppets. Like they could have like put everybody in this. I think they stuck close to like the story and really like thought like we're telling this Christmas Carol story and we're going to use Muppets in it where it makes sense, but we're not going to, like, you know, shove extra Muppets in here or make it, like, kind of dumb it down. You know, it's a genuinely, like, spooky story. Even with this, with puppets, it's like there's parts of it that are, like, scary, especially the the ghosts are The Muppet quite ghost scary. effects are genuinely, like, eerie and unsettling. Especially the ghost of Christmas Future. That... Who's basically death, yeah. Yeah, it's basically like death, but it's like a hooded figure, but the proportions are very strange, like where the arms are really long, like it's very tall, but the arms are long. Yeah. And it's just the creativity and vision behind the creation of these, like it feels like a character that would have been in Labyrinth or The Dark Crystal. Mm -hmm. And also, Chris, I think literally everything you just said, the Disney of 2022 would have done all of that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely I, I, every single Because they would have made it so goofy and like just. <laughs> it would have literally been goofy yeah. as uh, Scrooge. Like it would have just been like, <laughs> the Muppets are all about like, uh, you know, zaniness. But it's like, they don't have to be. Like they can be, there's some zaniness in it, but like they could also be very like grounded. Yeah, like Gonzo's taking this so seriously. Like he wants to tell this story. And I think that does so much where he's like, other things can be kind of flippant and self-referential, but he's like, no, this story is important. I'm going to tell it. And yeah, like, isn't, he's not really doing jokes, like, as you would expect. Like, he is literally playing, like, a real Charles Dickens, yeah. which is crazy. He's mostly, re when he's funny, he's reacting off to, like, F of uh, Rizzo. The child ghost is creepy in an entirely different way yeah, than the future. Yeah. Pretty creepy. It, <laughs> I don't even know what to like say it looks like because it just looks like it doesn't look real. It looks like a special effect, but it doesn't look like any special effect I've ever seen before. I don't even know like the face is is it a I guess it's probably a puppet, right? But Oh, it's a puppet. It's just that it's not the usual big bulbous eyes of the Muppets. So it's almost right. like they're trying to create a realistic looking human as a puppet. But I think it's that uncanny valley thing. They like got 
a little too close, maybe on purpose, yeah. so that it's unsettling. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. But you're just a child. I can remember nearly 1900 years. I'm the ghost of Christmas past. What business has brought you here? Your welfare. <laughs> a night's unbroken rest might aid my welfare. Your salvation, then. Take heed. Come. I beg your spirit. I, I am mortal, liable to fall. A touch of my hand, and you shall fly. I mean, that part just makes it feel like a Muppet shining instead of Christmas Carol. <laughs> and then the the middle ghost is like a, basically a giant ginger Santa who's very jolly. I like him. Yeah. I like that the Muppets range in sizes where some of them are really small and then some of them are a human in a costume. Yeah. That are like enormous. Like I, I like Sweetums. that. Or Big Bird or the the present ghost. Um I just, I enjoy that. It's not, they're not all like the same height. Right. There's a range there. So this movie has a song that was cut out of the original version called When Love Is Gone that is sung by Ebenezer's girlfriend in like the past sequence that was like lost for a very long time and they tried to restore it. And I think it was restored on like a VHS version. Then that became like the only version that existed. So they couldn't put it back in, which apparently is now being restored into the movie when it's going to be back on Disney Plus this year. So you can see a new version of this movie basically like this year. (laughs) It is. But, you know, I mean, my overall with the songs, I thought they could be a little bit Muppetier, but I guess I'm glad that they are not too Muppety. So I don't know. I guess I'll I'll take them as they are. (laughs) Because, again, it's not like trying to like overly Muppetize this. It's like telling the story that just happened to have Muppets in it. So the rest of the 90s was rounded out by a show called Muppets Tonight, which aired for two seasons from 96 to 98, which I remember. It was a TGIF show, so I think I saw it, you know, as part of that lineup. It had such sketches, probably in the uh, spirit of uh, Pigs in Space, such as E-I-E-I-O-R, an E-R parody, (laughs) NYPD Green, and Bay of Pigs Watch. This sounds vaguely familiar. I remember being so excited for this show to come out. And then it came out. (laughs) (laughs) The guests included Michelle Pfeiffer, Cindy Crawford, John Goodman, Garth Brooks, Sandra Bullock, Whoopi Goldberg, Prince. 90s people. (laughs) And Jason Alexander. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I probably watched this because I watched TGIF, but also maybe not because I feel like this was in my era of like, I don't care about the Muppets. Yeah. I liked this, rewatching it. It's very much in the spirit of The Muppet Show in that it has, like, celebrity guests and then skits. It's a little bit more tailored to the celebrity guests, like the skits center around them, kind of more like SNL would do a lot of times. And playing more specifically on their star persona, I think. Right, yeah. So, like, we watched some clips from Sandra Bullock's episode, so the plot of that one is, like, there's a bomber in the studio and the ratings can't go below 50. Movie star like you? Well, what do you have to be nervous about? I just, I'm a little afraid that, you know, when people see me on this show, they're not going to like me. 
Uh, and then Sandra. you're going to do that channel surfing thing, and then uh, your ratings are going to go down. Uh, and then, hello. You know, you're going to be disappointed in me and not ask me back ever. And then, Man, you are <laughs> nervous, aren't you? <laughs> a little, maybe. <laughs> you know what, maybe, why don't, we, why, don't we, why don't we just show a clip from my new film? Yeah, okay, good. Well, okay. well why don't you tell us about it? Okay, it's a, it's a follow-up to my film, While You're Sleeping, it's called Why You're Slapping. <laughs> I really hope you like it. <laughs> oh, of course we will. Let's roll it, shall we? Okay. Oh, man, look at my arm. There, there, dear. You'll be okay. How is Bill? Is he still in a coma? Hey, you can't be in here. This is for family only. Hey, you can't slap me. I saved Bill's life. And besides, I'm his fiancé. You can't marry Bill. You're not like him. Bubbles come out of his head. They do, and, and, and that's what I love about him. But I think because, like, the references, like, the pop culture references are so much more current to me, like, I enjoy this, I think, as a lot of people probably enjoyed The Muppet Show at the time, and I was expecting this to not hold up that well, but I actually think it is pretty much on par with the original show. I mean, a little bit more 90s, you know, kind of snappy, like, a little bit more put together versus that kind of charm of the original that just feels like we're getting together and putting on a show, you know, because it was, like, more of a corporate thing. Um, airing on ABC, but in general I actually thought it was a good version if you're going to revive this for the 90s. Yeah, like, this time around I thought it was better done than I remembered it being. Yeah. And yeah, like, exactly like you're saying, I think the currency of the pop cultural references makes it you know, hit more. And also it definitely is, like, much more clearly tailored to the strengths of the the guest stars. And I just also love Sandra Bullock being funny. Yeah, she's pretty <laughs> good in this. There's also a skit in this called Seinfeld Babies. I have to see it. I didn't get to watch this. <laughs> so just to touch on the further muppetry that was around, you know, in these years when we were young. In 1991, there was the Muppet Vision 3D at Disney Hollywood Studios. 4D? It says 3D, but I think maybe they upgraded it okay. to 4D at some point. I definitely remember there being bubbles. <laughs> yeah, there was a sensory experience, yeah. yes. Uh, There was Muppet Treasure Island in 96 and Muppets in Space in 99. Disney finally bought the Muppets in 2004. Their takeover of it was delayed by Henson's death, so they didn't actually get their hands on it until 2004, although there were a lot of partnerships between Disney and the Muppets in the years up until then. Various holiday specials and TV movies. Then the Muppets movie in 2011 and Muppets Most Wanted in 2014. There was another Muppets primetime series on ABC 2015 to 16, which I had no idea about, honestly. It's uh, um, the talking head, like, camera. Like, it's, oh, it's filmed like, almost like The like Officer, Parks v- and Rec. Oh, I see. Yeah. I-, I wanted to like it so much more than I did. Wait, I think you're thinking of, are you thinking of Muppets Now on Disney Plus? No. Okay. That's different. No, okay. it was, yeah, it was a whole nother. I totally skipped that one. Yeah. So there's that, which is aired in 2020. I'm not sure if they're still doing more. The CGI Muppet Babies, I think it just wrapped up, but it was on for four years. 2021 Muppet Haunted Mansion. There's some Disney synergy going for oh, you. Oh, yeah. God. Didn't watch that. And uh, upcoming, there's Muppets Mayhem, which stars uh, Dr. Teeth in his band, including our favorite uh, Janice. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to or not watch at all. I don't know, man. It really depends on, on each movie. I feel like if you 
get the Muppets, it doesn't mean it's going to be fantastic or bad. You might get one or the other, kind of depending. I think they're not always a hit. The brand is a hit, but the actual thing that comes out, I think, could go either way. The Muppets brand has largely been subsumed by the Walt Disney Corporation. I think that anything genuinely creative, original, fresh, or interesting that is Muppets-related will be an exception rather than something that you can expect to happen. Becky, like you were saying in the other episode, like I think that Jason Siegel movie is an example of that. Like that I think was an exception because there was a creative force behind that, especially in the position of being the writer, to where he had enough influence on the story that that he could make sure it didn't get too Disneyfied. But there are just so many restrictions and requirements and rules that are part of being in the Disney stable for that, that even something that is kind of as inherently original as the Muppets almost always will ultimately get homogenized and diminished and made into something that feels very cookie-cutter and unoriginal. And it's a shame, you know, because I I could see a, a version of that model where a company as big as Disney, you know, seeks out people like Jason Siegel, you know, like really original writers with fresh ideas and approaches and takes and like gives them the the money and the freedom to go do it and go do what they want to do with it. But the Disney model is not really one that permits that because it requires so much profit to come out of every single one of those things that, you know, it, it ends up all of it gets shoehorned into like a four quadrant experience, you know, where it has to appeal to a lot of different audiences all at once and not, you know, like it has to appeal to all those audiences, not from the perspective of like being original and really fun and really exciting. Yeah. The Muppets started off on public television and then even their huge phenomenally like globally popular show was independently you know produced you know in in britain not even a network so i mean they their spirit is like we were talking about so anti-establishment so kind of poking fun at the man um even though they've often you know kind of gone up you know they were they were selling like coffee like in the 60s you know in commercials so it's not like they haven't been used to sell products before but they always do it in this way that's so knowing where it's like you can't criticize them for it because they're already like making a meta joke about how they're showing something and then there's nothing more establishment than disney so it's this weird thing that on the one hand it seems like muppets and disney go together well because they're both children's entertainment and they have been together so much and and even like un uncynical you know like that element of it there is a kinship there on paper yeah but i mean on the other hand like disney is a very earnest company i mean now like muppets were always meta and now kind of everything feels like it's a little bit meta so there's some disney stuff that is as well but in general their company is not that same kind of brand of like sticking it to the man or anything like that or you know kind of doing things like in the like quirky weird like low budget way versus you know that that's just not at all what disney does i feel like the henson family who's still involved has done a pretty good job of protecting the brand like maybe this is a low bar but like versus like what disney has done to their own brands i mean they have run their animated characters into the ground yeah 
like those live action movies are just like they God. they clearly don't understand at all what their own characters what their appeal is we had a pinocchio movie this year where it's just like have you seen pinocchio like do you even know like yeah what this is supposed to be and that's you know how so many of their movies are now and so i think relative to that the muppets have I haven't seen all all of their stuff. Like, I don't know. Maybe Muppets Haunted Mansion is pretty bad. I don't know. But I think relatively, I feel like they're intact. Like, they haven't done anything that's, like, so abysmal yet. <laughs> but I don't trust that they won't. I think that their brand is so strong. Like, I've watched Muppets Now, which is they're starting a web series or something. It's stupid and very forgettable. But they've been around for so long that I'm not going to be like, well, Kermit sucks now. <laughs> Because of Muppets now, you know? Fuck you, Kermit. Yeah. Kermit sold out. I guess it's kind of like The Simpsons, which Disney now owns too, which I think is less of a good pairing than the the Muppets. And I think they've done worse stuff. Like, haven't they done, like, a Star Wars crossover or something? So many bad, like, shorts on Disney Plus with The Simpsons. They're not a good fit for a lot of things. They're not going to be precious with characters. I don't have hope for that. But even though there's like bad shorts of The Simpsons on Disney Plus, you could still make The Simpsons good again. The brand is too strong. And I feel like that's the same with The Muppets. There might be a bunch of forgettable TV shows or movies of The Muppets, but then there might be a really good one. They're that strong that I feel like you don't discount them. I can still wear my Fozzie the Bear shirt with pride (laughs) and not be like, oh, I'm so embarrassed to wear this. Now that we found out why there are so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side, that's all we have to say about Muppets on When We Were Young. On our next episode... We will be waxing on, waxing off, and waxing poetic about The Karate Kid from 1984, the movie starring Ralph Macchio. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast product, and rate and review us five stars there so that more people will hear the show. You can find us on all the social medias, or at least any of the platforms that still exist, and you can donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash when we were young, so we can make more episodes and give them to you for free. I've been Seth. I'm Chris. And boo! Boo! That was the worst thing I've ever heard! It was terrible! Horrendous! Yeah, it wasn't that bad. Oh yeah? Well, there are parts of it I liked. Well, I liked a lot of it. Yeah, it, it was good actually. It was great! It was wonderful! Yeah, bravo! More! 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 There's something in the wind today that's good for everyone. Yeah! Yes, faith is in our hearts today. We're shining like the sun. And everyone can feel it. The feelings running deep. After all, Merry there's Merry only Christmas. one more sneak to Christmas. After all, there's only one more sleep till Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. Hmm.